right. Um, okay, so what, what I'm going to do is just kind of give you um, just a big broad picture of what we're going to cover tonight so that for those of you that are leaving, um, you, if I didn't cover that point, you know you'll probably be missing it whenever you, you'll know what to ask me for. You can look it up. We're going to do this on podcast. But basically, the premise and the reason that we've uh, done this workshop is at home, or this class tonight, at home, when, when I teach on intimacy, relational intimacy, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in my hometown or in areas, we get inundated with um, husbands and wives as old as 77 years old going, um, what are you guys talking about? You described my family, you described my relationship, you described me, and we've done all these things, but we're still lacking what you just talked about. So can you help us? And I mean, imagine that, a 77-year-old couple calling a 50-year-old couple saying, what is intimacy? The kind that you're discussing. So what kind am I discussing? The kind of intimacy that after 31 years of marriage, marriage um, which I'll be 31 years on July the 12th, um, my husband still takes my breath away. He still makes me sweat. He still makes me blush down to my wrist. And I'm not, Sunday I was preaching, he was sitting in the back and I looked up at him to talk just a little bit about him and I got all fumbled and couldn't talk. It was a little awkward being in there. Yeah. Now, why, am I, why is that so important? Because for years I was told that you couldn't have that. That that was not a reality. That that was just kind of pie in the sky. That was something that didn't last. And that, you know, you'd have your honeymoon phase and then you just have to live out a commitment. Well, I believe the Bible is really true. And God said I could have life and life more abundantly. And that my joy could be full. And it also says in Ephesians that the marriage is a mystery to unveil Christ and his bride. So if that's what we're portraying in the earth, who would want to marry Christ if it's just just out of commitment? And so um, when I was 19 years old, I went looking for other women to teach me how to be a godly wife. And I am sad to say that I got a, a lot of rules a lot of manipulation and control. And it was all disguised in the Word of God. And so we're going to talk about the difference between uh, commitment and being moved out of passion or being smitten or having your breath taken away by the relationship. So the things that you do in your relationship is not a regimen, nor is it obligation, nor is it duty. When you have a duty, you need a bathroom and some toilet paper. Right? And so I'm not interested in a duty. And you can have your duty if you want it. I don't mind. If it's working for you, keep it. And I'm not offended by it at all. But it was, that was not what I was looking for. I wanted, my, my envision of, of me being married for my entire life is like I'm 99 and I'm trying to run from him and he's trying to catch me and I let him. What a beautiful picture. But I was told that wasn't possible. So I did. I went and looked and I searched all the different women and I found a lot of manipulation and control and again, using the word of God to show me how to do that. And I got home and I got on my face and I said, God, something's wrong. Where are the women of Titus? Where are the older women that can teach the younger women what you're talking about? Because no matter when I searched the scriptures, I read what these promises were, but I couldn't find anyone living them. Now my mother and father love them dearly 
And in my mind, as a child growing up, um, I saw a lot of, of passion and love and intimacy. And I don't, I mean, I never saw my daddy like French kiss my mom, but I saw him kiss her ankles and crawl across the floor and hold her hand and come up behind her while she's cooking and, and kiss her on the cheek. Just genuine, holy, precious affection. And then I watched the different phases that my family went through and, and the hard times. And I watched them before my mom died in 2011, them come back together and have another um, a wave of, of intimacy that was different than what I had seen through the years. I've watched other people stay, stay married because it's the right thing to do. But what I'm going to specifically focus on tonight is the fact of what most married couples are living in today and don't know that there is something else out there for you. So um, I'm going to talk about uh, the man's role, the woman's role, how we've lived that, and how we can overcome what we've been living that doesn't work. And the evidence that it doesn't work is go and look at the different marriages that you know. Go around and see how many you can find where the woman still buckles at the knees at the sound of his voice. And let me tell you, it's real. It's absolutely real. Now, Nancy lived with us for 30 days. Are we perfect? No. But we're perfect for each other. The land of Canaan, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means the land of humility. So if you want to be humbled, get married. That's literally what it means. Now, you have to cross the Jordan to get there. And that means the abyss, or it could also mean hell. And you got to get through that. But once you get there, the fruit is bigger than your head. What does that mean? That means you can't wrap your head around it. You're not going to figure it out. The carnal mind's not going to figure out the godly things. Reasoning is not going to work for us. That's where we've been. We've been working through the frontal lobe. We've been working through intellect, reasoning, tell me what to do right. I have had couples for years come to me and Michael and say, can you give us some steps? And I look at them and I'm like, so the 10 that God gave you is not working for you. What makes you think me giving you three more is somehow going to improve on what God did? It's not. It's absolutely not going to work. So there are, uh, whenever they would you know, press me to, well, just tell me something. I say, okay, here's three rules. Write them down. Hear him, hear him, and hear him. That really is the rules to live by. And so the problem with that is, not a lot of people actually can hear God in conversation. You guys, that's real. My husband thought that I was absolutely nuts. He even told me so. And I told him I am. And that if he found my brain, kick it down the road, it didn't work, you're not supposed to lean onto it. So I literally did have to lose my way of thinking, what had been deposited into me. But I grabbed some things that I saw in other marriages that I didn't want. And I went to God and I said, God, how do I not have this? And it wasn't easy. So I'm going to tell you some stories about my husband and I to show you how we got to where we are. Now, by telling you these stories, I have my husband's um, blessing. And he, when I, I, just the other night I was thanking him um, for letting me share his stories too. Because it's okay if I, if I share my story. But if I uncover someone else's story, that's not okay if they're not okay with it. That would be dishonor or disrespect. And for many years, Michael wasn't um, transparent. He didn't want his business being told. 
But after working with women for 25 years, and at least 8 out of 10 women that we have met been abused sexually in some form or fashion, he began to say, you know what, we got to do something. We have to help. What can we do? And I said, we can tell our story. We can pour our lives into other people. We, we closed our company. We quit our jobs. We, we gave everything up. We actually right now are selling our property in Mississippi. We used to have a very uh, affluent business that we made lots of money and invested in property. But we're selling everything and we're liquidating. Why? Because we need to get the message out there. And when people don't know who you are, they don't pay to get you there. So I've invested into to this place. Why? Because God asked me to. That's why I've invested. It's not because I, you owe me something. You don't owe me anything. God says, owe no man nothing but to love him. But if you believe in what I'm doing and you want to support what I do, that's between you and God. And I would appreciate it, but I'm not going to beg. My children never been left forsaken nor begging for bread. I had a lady in Ohio said, how many would it take for you to come here? I said, I would go for one. And the woman began to weep and she said, even if that one is me? I said, what if you were my daughter? I would want somebody to come. What if you were my son? See, that is what we should be moved by, love, not by whether or not she could get enough people to take up a big enough love offer and to get me there. I left there and I went to Buffalo and then I came home and then I got invited back to Buffalo, <clears throat> excuse me, Buffalo two more times this year and I'm going on and doing another retreat in New York all because when you go because of love, people want more love. They're starving for love. And we're starving in our homes. Between husbands and wives, we're starving for affection and intimacy and we have no idea how to get it. We keep adding rules and regimens. Now I'm going to start out with something for the men. Women, you will feel validated. Men, you will feel like, okay, this is something I might need to listen to. And look, if you disagree with me, I am not offended at all. Like I said, if this works for you and you want it, take it. If you don't think of it like a buffet. You know, if you like chicken, get some chicken. If you like fish, get some fish. If you don't like chicken or fish, just leave hungry. I don't mind. Right? But I'm not trying to shove something down your throat. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to offer you what we've discovered in our life that works after 31 years. That, to me, ought to say something. And I asked Nancy, I said, Nancy, tell me, you know, I let her see our dysfunction. I didn't hide anything from her. When I was going through whatever, I'd say, come on, Nancy, come sit on the back porch with me. Let me tell you what I'm going through. Let me show you how I process this. I wanted her to see how I process um, whatever emotions were going through my body because whether you realize it or not, the uh, scientists say that 90, a minimum of 95% of everything that we do flows from the subconscious. Well, that's almost right. They leave a margin for error because that's what scientists do. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that 100% all the issues of life flow from the heart. Well, guess what the heart is connected to? the subconscious. So the scientists are on the, in the right ballpark. It's not connected to your frontal lobe. Now we know that the frontal lobe didn't, does not get fully formed until age 26 or thereabout. That's where you have your reasoning, your intellect, that's where, okay, I should tell my kids, just think 10 minutes in front of your face. That'll at least get you through the day. Right? The planning, the perceiving, the Okay, well, last time I went this way and they had those yellow signs, I stayed in traffic for four hours. So I think I better pay attention to those signs. You see what I'm saying? That's your reasoning, your intellect. 
But that is not where intimacy happens. Intimacy happens in the diencephalon. It happens where the hypothalamus is, where the amygdala is. That's where your emotional memories are. As a matter of fact, the closest of your five senses to that part of the brain is smell. That's why you can smell a certain perfume and it'll take you back to grandma or mama. Or you might, or maybe an old girlfriend that broke your heart. Or maybe an old boyfriend that broke your heart. Or you could smell apple pie and it'll take you to a specific memory. Or popcorn or, or ivory soap. It doesn't matter what it is, but the smell is right there. The limbic, the limbic part. It goes right, right. If you, if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth and you go straight up, that's where all that part of the brain is. And just so that you know, the heart actually talks more to the brain than the brain talks to the heart. So it's actually going on all the time. And in most, that's why it's, we're unconscious of it because it's subconscious, like subterrain or submarine. So you're not, you don't even realize you're doing it, but that's what's happening. So I'm going to talk to you about mine and Michael's, uh, some of our wake-up calls so that we, you can see how we woke up into this and you can find yourself in, in our story, if you can. Um, after 12 years of being married, um, I had found myself walking on uh, eggshells most of the time, and Michael laid them all out for me really nice and neat for me to walk on. <laughs> on a daily basis, he was very faithful with that. And uh, one day I got tired of walking on those eggshells. They, you know, were kind of crunchy and didn't, you know, especially if you broke one that he laid out so perfectly, then you'd get more trouble for breaking the eggshell that you didn't step on right. Right? And so one day while we were having our uh, disagreement, and Michael had never um, talked to me, that, well, I'll take that back. Our first week of marriage, he cursed me, and I had never heard him speak to anyone like that. And I had never heard my dad raise his voice at my mom, never heard my dad cuss my mom, never heard them argue when they did have any type of uh, uh, um, disagreement they would go in their room shut the door you could hear them talking but there was never an elevated voice and you would never dishonor or speak dishonorably in front of my mom my dad would stop it not even another man another man would not say a, a coarse jesting anything sexual innuendo in front of my mom oh my goodness like it was on you just didn't do that and if uh, my dad would always give my mother an opportunity to nip it in the bud first and if that didn't work then he would have nipped it but it wouldn't have been in the bud Right? And so um, I just say that to say that when my husband cussed me during that first week, I, I was like, what is this? Now, we, neither one, I was, I was born again. He had not got saved yet. It wasn't very long after this he got saved. But um, I told him at that moment, I said, you wanna, if you want to cuss somebody, there's a mirror in the bathroom. And if you want to throw things, you go right ahead. You can go outside. There's a really big yard. You can throw what you want. You can scream, holler all you want to. But you will never do that to me again. If you do, you will come home to an empty house. Now, I don't believe in divorce. Don't want divorce. Am I against divorce? No. If someone's abusing you or running around on you, you have a certificate. You know, get, let, let, if you're married to an unbeliever let, and he wants out, let him go. And, of course, if somebody commits adultery, you have a, a biblical way out. But, but, but divorce wasn't in my vocabulary. It was not an option. It's still not an option for me. If he ran around on me, I believe I would divorce him. But I don't know that because I've seen so many families heal afterwards. But if he hit me, like I'm not going to wait for him to hit me. He's a big guy. If he hit me, y'all might be burying me. So 
going back to the 12 years of marriage after that first initial thing and me walking on eggshells and doing it very well all those years, I got really tired of living in fear. Now let me explain to you why my husband manipulated me with fear. Because he was afraid. He was afraid that I would be the kind of woman that broke his heart when he was 15. So he was going to make sure I wasn't like her, so that's why I walked on those eggshells. So I was actually being punished for something I had never done. So we had this dissertation one uh, afternoon, one evening, and he points his finger at me and he says, Woman, I'll knock the out of you. And immediately, now this is the born again, two believers now, and that comes out of his mouth. And I just go to my bedroom, shut the door, lock the door, get on my knees, lay on my face, and say, Father, here I am. What? How do I respond to this? And he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I said, so Father, how do I, how do I, what do I say? He said, nothing tonight. See, that was wisdom. And so the next day when he came in from work, the Lord had already told me what to say. What the, what the Lord told me to say was, tell him the next time you are scared of him, you will pack your bags, you and the kids will leave, you'll go live with your sister in her upstairs room, and you'll scrub toilets for a living if you have to, but you will never again live in fear. Period. And I said, but God, what if he leaves me? The Lord said, what if he hits you? Because see, I had already vowed if he hit me, I'd leave him. But that's kind of stupid to wait till somebody hits you. Right? Like, that didn't make sense. Like, okay, beat me up and then I'll go. No. That, that, you, it escalates. It doesn't just stop. So, I told him that when he came in from work the next night. I had the table fixed. And I didn't stop being the wife that God called me to be because I didn't like where my husband was ever. I tried, and the Lord would woo me, and I would give in because Jesus is my husband, and he makes my knees buckle. I just try to tell him no, and it don't work. And so um, whenever we went to bed that night with the lights out, because, you know, we don't like talking and looking at each other in the eye when you're not intimate because that's a scary thing. And so I told him what the Lord told me. He said, Angel, I would never hit you. I said, I don't believe what you just said just now out of your logical mind. I believe what you said out of the overflow of your heart. And out of the overflow of your heart, you said you'd hit me. And I said, look, Michael, I'm not here to control you or manipulate you. And it's not my job to decide how you and the Holy Spirit work this out. If you want to go to counseling, go. If you want me to go with you, I'll go with you. If you want to handle it just between you and Jesus, do that. It's none of my business. I'm, I can't tell you how to live your life, but I'm not going to live in fear of you and you're not ever going to hit me. I will be gone before that day ever gets here. I won't divorce you. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for forever. You waited for me. And I'll wait for you. You're worth waiting for. I love you with all my heart, but I'm not living in fear. Not with you, not with anyone. Perfect love casts out all fear. So I laid in his arms and he apologized and asked me to forgive him and I did and he told me he loved me and we just held each other. It's a very, very sad, solemn moment. And to be honest with you, I don't know what he did. He never told me. And guess what? It's still none of my business unless he chooses to tell me. See, sometimes women are like, tell me, 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 tell me. Well, guess what? If they want to tell you, they'll tell you. Leave them alone. Men are not like women. They're just a tad different. So I never ask him, and he's never told me to this day. If he chooses to tell me tomorrow, great. But if he doesn't want to tell me, he can have private stuff between him and God that's none of my business. He shares a lot with me. But I don't know what happened, but for the next four years, our marriage was bliss. 